Our reading this morning is taken from the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verses 19 to 21, and chapter 11, verse 1. A call to persevere. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is, his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Amen. Good morning. I guess you, like me, have probably been watching in recent weeks that story unfold of the rescue of the boys from the caves in Thailand. A remarkable story of a successful rescue from an extremely dangerous situation. A story of hope in what seemed to be an impossible circumstance. A story of the bravery and commitment of rescue workers and the generosity of volunteers who helped in numerous ways. Everybody playing their part, however small, to bring about the success of the mission. Since that video was filmed, the boys have left the hospital and have been reunited with the families. Of course, we must pay tribute to the Navy SEAL who lost his life in the attempt to rescue the boys and continue to pray for all those affected in any way by this whole situation. We're going to come back to some of that aspects of those, the story later on um, throughout the morning. But I've really been enjoying this recent series of characters of hope. I think what has been particularly helpful has been a chance to see how faith and hope are lived out in action. An opportunity to explore examples of people who lived lives of hope even in difficult and demanding circumstances. So we've had a verse this year, a key verse that we've been looking at. I'm not going to ask you to, to say it to me. I'm not going to put you on the spot. But you probably will recognize this verse. We've used it a few times. It says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Wouldn't that be a great way to live? Filled with joy, filled with peace, overflowing with hope. But I think you and I know that sometimes it's a struggle to live out that verse. How can we be people who overflow with hope when the circumstances of pressures of life seem to be dragging us down? How can we be people who feel joy and peace when we're faced with suffering and pain? How can we be people who 
are a people of hope and share the hope that faith in Jesus gives us if our experiences only seem to be pulling us apart. So this series about characters of hope is a way for us to explore together how we might begin to answer those questions. Each of the characters that we've looked at have been examples to us of holding on to faith in the tough times. People who, despite their circumstances, have maintained hope and faith. So we've looked at Job, and we've looked at how we should understand the purposes for the things that we face. With, with Esther, we learned that we needed to be all in, risk-taking in our faith, taking every opportunity that God gives us. And with Ruth, we learned that we need to cling on to hope when tragedy strikes and to trust God's plans and timing. So today we come to Noah. I'm just going to pick out some key verses and passages from the full story of Noah. And that can be found in Genesis 6, 7, 8, and 9, if you would like to read that when you get home. Noah also gets a mention in the New Testament. In Hebrews chapter 11, when Paul references Old Testament characters who lived lives of faith, he is one of a list of people who had such confidence that the promises of God would be fulfilled, that it absolutely and fundamentally made a difference to the way they lived. Their future hope transformed their present life. So this morning I'm going to talk about three aspects of the character of Noah that I believe can help us in our own journey of faith. Firstly, we'll think about how Noah walked faithfully with God. Secondly, we'll consider how he trusted God and did everything commanded. And lastly, how he patiently waited for signs of hope. We shall consider how we can find hope for ourselves in the promises of God and how we can share that hope with others that we meet. After creation... The Bible tells us that God saw all that he had made, and it was good, really good. Earth and heaven in harmony. And now, just a few chapters later, God again looks at his creation and is deeply disappointed with what he sees. In fact, verse 6 says that his heart was deeply troubled. The New Living Translation says it broke his heart. God is a God of love. His heart is full of love for his creation. I think that's a really key thing to grasp hold of this morning. God loves his creation. He created humans. He created you and me in his image to be in relationship with him. But that relationship had been fractured. The people are described as corrupt, violent, 
evil. It's a world of wickedness and immorality. The people had rejected God and they were living lives that were dishonoring to him. So Genesis 6, 5 says, The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. Sad place to be. And yet, amongst all of this, one man stood out. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. Despite everything, despite the fact that those around him had turned away and rejected God, Noah continued to walk faithfully with God. I imagine that was not an easy task in that environment that we just read about in the previous verse. But I do think it's worth spending a bit of time this morning and picking that phrase, he walked with God. What does it mean that Noah walked with God? What does it mean to us? What can it mean to us? So I want you to imagine... Imagine that you are taking a walk with a very good and dear friend. You chat, you listen, you laugh, you share your deepest and most intimate thoughts, and you enjoy time in their company. That's a picture for how we should be developing our relationship with God. Developing a passion for God that seeks to know him. Desires to spend time with him. Wanting to please him and bring glory to his name should be our heart's greatest desire. A passion that consumes us. It's not just something that's reserved for those we might consider to be particularly holy or spiritual or however you want to describe it. This is a habit that we can all and should all be developing. I'll be the first to admit that it can be difficult getting into a regular routine of meeting with God, of reading the Bible and praying. The busyness of life can sometimes crowd out time with God. However, it's such a vital and important discipline. In the autumn, the home groups are going to be spending some time looking at a series on whole life discipleship. So if that's an area that you know that you would like to develop further in your journey of faith, if you would like to know how you can develop your walk with God every day throughout the week as well as just on Sundays, then the home group series in the autumn will be something that will um, help you in that. So walking with God... It means aligning our will with him. It means making choices that seek only to bring him glory. It means allowing the spirit to conform us so we become more like Jesus. 
Actually, in the Bible, when they refer to walking, they often refer to lifestyle. If we're walking with God, then God's ways are reflected in our actions. God's ways are reflected in our thoughts. God's ways are reflected in our motivations. And God's ways are reflected in our life choices because we have spent time with him. If we can learn to develop this habit of walking faithfully with God in the times when life is going well, then we'll be able to develop the tools we need to help us cope during the more difficult times. Walking with God gives us a sense of hope. But let's come back to Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. By walking faithfully with God, Noah was able to live a life that was radically different. He stood out. In contrast to those around him, Noah is described as blameless. We'll talk more about that word blameless later, but for now, we'll think about the idea of living differently, about making radical choices in our lifestyle and our behaviors. It's not easy to challenge the culture. It's not easy to be distinctive in a world that seems to be traveling in a different direction to us. And yet, we are called as children of God to live lives that are radically different. In Philippians, it says, Do everything without complaining or arguing, so that you may be innocent and pure as God's perfect children who live in a world of corrupt and sinful people. You must shine among them like stars, lighting up the sky as you offer them the message of life. The way that we live, the behaviors and attitudes that we demonstrate, the choices that we make, all testify to the values that we hold. When we're walking faithfully with God in the way we looked at earlier, then our lives will be a testimony to our faith in Christ. If we claim to know God, if we claim to be children of God, if we claim to have a faith in Jesus Christ, then we need to let our way of life match up to that claim. Our lives should reflect Jesus. The way we love and care for others, our gentleness, our kindness, our acts of service, our compassion can all be a way to shine God's love into a dark world. The verse speaks about offering the message of life. As you must shine among them like stars lighting up the sky as you offer them the message of life. So what is this message that we are to share through our lifestyle? 
It's the fantastic, life-changing news of acceptance, forgiveness, and eternal life through Jesus Christ. That's why it's so important our lives point to him. People should see the hope that we have and notice the difference that it makes. It can be a really good way of starting a conversation about faith. Some time ago, I, I remember listening to someone speaking about not being the thermometer, but being the thermostat in every situation. I can't remember where I was or who I was listening to. Um, and I think possibly the idea may have originally been given by Martin Luther King, but again, I'm not entirely sure, so my apologies for not being able to credit it correctly. But I, I do think it's particularly relevant today, so I really want to share that thought because I've held on to it since I heard about it. So on this side here, we have a thermometer. A thermometer can tell you the temperature. It reflects the surrounding climate, and it reacts to any changes. However, on the other side, we have a thermostat. And a thermostat sets the temperature. It can influence the surroundings. A maturing walk with God will lead us more and more to be influencers of the world, rather than be influenced by it. In your workplace, in your home, in whatever place you spend your time, are you being drawn into the culture of that place? Or are you distinctive in the way you behave? We should be people of hope and people of light in our places of work, in our homes, in our communities, as we seek to bring glory to God. So, we've seen how Noah walked faithfully with God and how that allowed him to live differently from those around him. We've seen that God was troubled by the manner in which humans were living because they'd rejected his ways. But God had a plan an outrageous plan to rescue his creation and restore it to a right relationship with him. The plan was to flood the earth and save just Noah and his family. Plus, as we know, the animals who came in two by two. A drastic action, and one that I think is possibly a bit difficult for us to understand. I said earlier that God loves his creation, and now he seems to be destroying it. I don't think that's a particularly easy question to answer. But Peter pointed out last week, and Evan reminded us when we talked about Job, sometimes the question we have to ask is not why, but instead ask, for what purpose? What purpose did God have in carrying out this plan? His purpose was to restore the relationship between God and humanity. To demonstrate that God has the power to save. Only God has the power to save. 
and to restore the glory of his name across the earth. Because with God, judgment is not the final word. The plan also shows that God is a God of mercy. He looked in favor on Noah and uses him to be part of the rescue plan. Noah represents a new possibility for the world. God's hope for the broken and damaged world. Let's look again at how Noah is described. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. But blameless in the Old Testament doesn't always mean that the person never does anything wrong. A person is described as blameless if they don't carry on doing their blameworthy actions. If they hate them, turn from them, and come to God seeking mercy. Neither does righteous mean perfect. Noah wasn't perfect. In the Old Testament, a righteous person who someone, is someone who turns from their wrongdoing, trusts God, and pursues obedience. The implication from those words, blameless and righteous, is that Noah lived a life of integrity. Throughout the Old Testament, the New Testament, in fact, all of history, people have continued to reject God. And the world is still full of those who would turn their back on the things of God. So much so, in fact, that we could be tempted to think that God's rescue plan through Noah was a failure. Was the relationship between the creator and this creation restored? It might appear, at first glance, not. Well, fortunately, God understands about our human nature. He knows that we're inclined to be self-seeking, that we have a tendency to go our own way, that we have a tendency to want to please ourselves and to be in control. So here's the good news. God had a plan. A plan to save humanity once and for all. A plan to restore relationship between God and his creation for eternity. A plan that demonstrated his love and his compassion. An outrageous plan. But this time it wasn't to destroy and rebuild like at the time of Noah. This plan was even more outrageous. God himself, born as a baby, fully human, fully God, living on earth, crucified and raised to life. Jesus is God's hope for a broken and damaged world. The verses that we read in Hebrews 10 speak of Jesus opening up the way to God, allowing full access to God's presence and being fully accepted. I say, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings. And the best bit of this plan, unlike the story of Noah, it isn't just for a few chosen people. This is for everyone, all of us, through faith in Jesus. We don't have to be perfect. We don't have to be blameless. We just need to recognize our need of God and the areas of our life that don't match up to his standards. And God gives us a choice. 
He offers this forgiveness and reconciliation, but we have to choose to accept it. There are many people here this morning who have recognized the hope that Jesus gives and the difference that it makes when we live our lives in the confidence of that hope. Perhaps this morning, you've begun to sense something of that in our worship. Perhaps you would like to explore more about who this Jesus is and the difference that he can make in your life. If that's the case, I would really encourage you to talk to someone this morning. I remember when I was younger seeing signs in coaches that read Mystery Tour. I'm not sure if coach companies still do this or not. Somebody might be able to tell me later whether they think they do. Maybe they do. Anyway, the idea was that you booked a seat on one of these coaches with no idea where you were going to end up. Obviously, the driver knew the route and had planned something spectacular, but as you boarded the coach, you had to trust that he would take you the right way. I was also thinking about those boys being rescued from the caves. They were strapped to the lead driver, the lead diver, and had to fully rely on that person to lead them out, often through extremely dangerous sections of the cave. They didn't know the route themselves, but they had to trust that their rescuer knew the right way. Noah was given some pretty strange instructions to follow. He was to build an ark. Just a little aside, um, the word ark doesn't mean boat. It means chest or box, somewhere where you might keep things safe. I really like that. I think even that name, that word, underlines the purpose for God's plan in this. So Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. In obedience, Noah followed all the instructions given to him. I imagine, and this is just me imagining it, it's not written in the Bible, but I imagine he probably was a little confused by what he was being asked to do. And yet, because he had walked so faithfully with God, he knew that he could trust him. He had faith that God knew what he was doing. He had faith that God would lead him in the right direction. I think this quote is a good summing up of that. It's a quote from Oswald Chambers. It says, Faith is deliberate confidence in the character of God whose ways you may not understand at the time. We might not understand everything about the direction that God is leading us or comprehend fully the circumstances that come our way. We might not understand why God has called us to a particular place or to a particular job. But we can understand that God's character is one of love, compassion, mercy, and grace. We can have confidence that we can rely fully and totally on God. And the more we walk faithfully with God, the more we get to know him and to better understand his character. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. We're reminded in that verse that we can have absolute trust 
absolute confidence in God. And we can live with the full expectation that his promises will come to pass. Our hopes are not just wishes, but a confident expectancy anchored by the promises and character of God. A future hope that can radically transform how we live and act in the present. Another quote from Oswald Chambers that I liked as well. I think it links well to this idea. Living a life of faith means never fully knowing where you are being led. But it does mean loving and knowing the one who is leading. Just like being on that mystery coach trip, sometimes our journey of faith can seem to be a step into the unknown. But the Bible is full of promises that mean we can trust that God knows where we're going. He knows the way. Like the boys as they made their ways out of the cave, sometimes our journey of faith can have difficult and painful times where all we can do is cling on to God and trust him to lead us through. I pray today that you will feel a real sense of God's hand holding you in the darkness and that you're able to face the day with confident hope as you put your faith in him. So Noah had done all that was asked of him and he found himself on the ark. Seven days later, it rained for 40 days and 40 nights. 150 days after that, the water had receded enough for the ark to come to a mountaintop and then continued to recede for a few more months. And we'll pick the story up there. After 40 days, Noah opened a window he'd made in the ark and sent out a raven. And it kept flying back and forth until the water had dried up from the earth. Then he sent out a dove to see if the water had receded from the surface of the ground. But the dove could find nowhere to perch because there was water over all the surface of the earth. So it returned to Noah in the ark. He reached out his hand and took the dove and brought it back to himself in the ark. He waited seven more days and again sent out the dove from the ark. When the dove returned to him in the evening, there in its beak was a freshly plucked olive leaf. Then Noah knew that the water had receded from the earth. He waited seven more days and sent the dove out again, but this time it did not return to him. Initially, when the boys were waiting in the cave, they didn't have any idea if they would be found. They had to wait in the darkness, not really knowing how or when or if they were going to be rescued. There was nothing that they could do, helpless and hopeless. But after the initial contact with the divers, I bet the waiting felt different. Now they knew there was a possibility of getting out, a hope of freedom. There was food to nourish them. There was medical assistance. And I believe one of the medic divers stayed with them. They still didn't know definitely when the rescue would come, but they were being sustained, cared for, and had somebody with them. A very different sort of waiting. Waiting with hope. Noah had to wait a long time, but he knew that God had promised a new beginning. He was waiting with hope. In his waiting, he looked for signs of hope that would reveal the promise of God was real. A small, freshly plucked olive leaf that symbolized new growth on the earth. The dove that found somewhere to roost and didn't return. In these small signs, Noah knew that God had been faithful. And of course, the best part known part of Noah's story the rainbow, 
a symbol of God's promise never to flood the earth again, and a sign of hope, God's everlasting covenant. At difficult and painful times, it can sometimes feel like God is very distant from us. Maybe that he's even forgotten about us, like a feeling of being shut up in an ark or stuck in a cave. But the truth is, God is never very far from us. He is the one who can sustain us, care for us, and provide for us in those hard times. He promises to be with us always. And I really like that we sang earlier. He meets us in our mourning with a love that casts out fear. And the song said, you are working in our waiting, sanctifying us. When beyond our understanding, you're teaching us to trust. Your plans are still to prosper. You've not forgotten us. You're with us in the fire and the flood. Faithful forever, perfect in love. You are sovereign over us. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. I want to encourage you this morning to wait with hope. If you're feeling lost, isolated, in a dark place, however you're feeling, God has not forgotten about you. God can lead you through those difficult times. Cling on to him, trust him. Look for those signs of hope as you wait. Words of encouragement from someone else, a verse from the Bible, maybe something as simple as a freshly picked leaf. Each day, look for something, however small, to be thankful to God for. And I know this is probably a little bit cliched, but the truth behind it is so important. No matter the storm, when you're with God, there's always a rainbow waiting. So just to sum up all that we've thought about this morning, what can we learn from the character and life of Noah? Firstly, God is a God of love. He loves his creation and longs for us to be in relationship with him. Every one of us is loved personally and individually by God. God's hurt when we reject his ways, when we reject him. He feels pain when his purpose for the world is distorted. But God had a plan to restore the relationship with humanity. In grace and mercy, he sent his son Jesus, who through his death and resurrection opened up the way to God. Faith in Jesus gives us an example of how to live. Our lives should be distinctive and should point people to Jesus. Walking faithfully with God means learning to trust his leading and developing a passion to know him better. And we need to look for signs of hope in the everyday. Because of Jesus, we can have confidence in the hope of present and future blessings. So wait with hope and expectation that God can and will break through in each and every circumstance, no matter how hard it may seem.